and welcome to Out of the Bag. This is Sean Maguire live on Healing Oracle Radio and People's Internet Radio and it is the 14th of the 5th 2021 and I'm doing a pre-record for my Wednesday show on May the 19th and I'm so so glad to have back on the show Sol Luckman, pioneering ink and acrylic painter and acclaimed author of fiction, non-fiction and humour um, award-winning books including Conscious Healing, uh, The Follow-Up, Potentiate Your DNA, Snooze, A Story of Awakening, The Angel's Dictionary, Musings from a Small Island. His new book, Callie the Destroyer, not even released yet until I think the middle of June, is set to become necessary reading. Uh, it's a great adventure with many not-so-hidden messages and maybe a few hidden ones we might find out. Welcome back to Out of the Bag, Sol Luckman. Thanks for having me, Sean. It's, it just gives me a, a warm and fuzzy to to connect with you online. I, I really like your show and your energy, and I appreciate you having me. Uh, listen, you're more than welcome. And, and I read your book. I finished it yesterday. Uh, and I usually like to do for my guests is read it two or three times, you know, three times to get it into my head. It's not in my head, but guess what? It really is a fun-filled adventure with shitloads of stuff that I think people would like to hear about. What do you think? Well, I hope you're right. <laughs> I, I enjoyed writing it. It was fun. I, I learned a lot in the process of writing it, and I, I feel like I conveyed a lot of um, of information of a of a metaphysical, esoteric, spiritual nature, shamanic, also. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you're a long time researcher of shamanism and spirituality, and uh, was it from John Nash's book? Uh, you you give it an acknowledgement. Uh, that the book not in his image gnostic vision sacred ecology and the future of belief did a lot of uh information come from that that that, that helped you i suppose elaborate on a nice storyline sure sure what lash did was to to articulate a reinterpretation of the ancient gnostic texts mm. he called this reinterpretation the fallen goddess scenario and it had to do with the idea that the planet that we live on, Earth, also known as Sophia and Gaia, that they, this planet is actually a living being, a divine being, mm -hmm. a female being. Literally, we're talking about Mother Earth. And there are many other elements to the Fallen Goddess scenario that he outlined in not in his image, which is a, a wonderful book. And so I'm very much indebted to that, that book and, mm. and his, uh, his acumen and his inspiration and in bringing through a, a new way of looking at Gnosticism. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And you do it so well. And the storyline is fantastic. And the names, of course, you use uh, Callie the Destroyer to be one, um, Sophia, uh, various other names throughout, uh, which maybe you can explain. I don't know what Thelites is or Thelites or... Uh... Thelites is the way I understand that it's pronounced. How, how is it pronounced? Thelites. Thelites. You see, I, I was reading it wrong even. <laughs> okay. Well, I remember... Hermione is not a name I'm familiar with, and I remember when I was reading Harry Potter, I had all kinds of strange pronunciations of that word in my head. Yeah, the Hermie one, bless her. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, it, it's it's an amazing book, and it's got a storyline. I don't want to give out too much, but within it, it's a got it's it picks a lot of reality from today. Um, it takes, I suppose, Orwellian dystopian, um 
subtext as well. Well, big time it does. Um, and mashes the two together and comes out with an incredible spiritual and physical journey uh, to save the planet. That's basically it, isn't it? Wow. You should be my copywriter. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's exactly what the book's about. There you go. And, and I know my listeners are going to absolutely bloody love it. So without spoilers and stuff, um, h- how do we proceed with this interview? I mean, um, do you want to tell us about the main characters, maybe? And uh, tell us about Callie, tell us about Juice, tell us about those characters and why they are together. Why and where are they? What is that dystopian future or dystopian place you've put us in during Callie the Destroyer? You know, how did it come to be? Can you elaborate on it? Because we, we're, we're basically chucked in the tub aren't we we're chucked into it straight away you describe it brilliantly so we know where we are but how did it get there was it really elite families right yeah so that's that comes out over the course of the book and without giving everything Mm. away it's it's a futuristic (laughs) story right yeah and it's set in a, a dystopian a dystopian future that certainly has elements of Orwell, elements of Huxley, yeah, yeah. elements of uh, uh, Boris Vian's work, uh, Les Cumes des Jours, this wonderful French novel. I think that uh, I forget even the English uh, translation of that, but okay. it was made into a movie with uh, Romain Duris and um, and oh, I forget her name, but she starred in The Da Vinci Code. Okay, this could easily be a movie, couldn't it, Sol? I'm sure that's the next step, isn't it? Yeah, I get that a lot from from this, these early readers that, yeah. that this this really needs to be made into a movie, and and hopefully we will live in a world someday where that can happen. Because yeah. Yeah. right now it's hard to imagine anyone with integrity and money being able to take this on in in our current cultural hell that we're living in in terms of uh, what's going on in Hollywood and uh, other places that make movies. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but then then there's the reality check, you know, within the book, all the way through the book as well. There's obviously the... There's... It's a massive story of racism, bigotry, sexism, isn't it? Absolutely. On a, on a colossal scale that, that really exceeds anything that, that we've seen since the time of slavery, I yeah. would say. Yeah, so I haven't given anything away by saying what I said earlier, because I've now chucked a real can of worms out there by saying that. And you try and marry the two together. There's so much ignorance and bliss and intelligence and knowledge running through the whole of the book. Uh, but it's it's a roller coaster as well. And um, the excitement parts of it, uh, I, I'm not really into the my adventure books, adventure movies. I'm not really into them. But this carried it along because it had that spiritual aspect, believe it or not. Yeah, that was my that was my goal, or one of my one of my goals was to was to create a, a spiritual novel that had a didactic element, not a not a dogmatic, but a but a teaching element to yeah. share. First of all, the fallen goddess scenario and and this interpretation of Gnosticism that I think is extremely timely, empowering, and important. Uh, but I knew that you can't just write about that from a dry perspective or, or you'll just recreate not in his image by John Lash, right? You have to, <laughs> you have to do something different with that. And I wanted to reach a different audience because as, as brilliant as not in his image is, it is, it is a very academic book. Yes. He's yeah. a, a very bright writer yeah. who's done a tremendous amount of research and he's coming at this kind of like a PhD scholar. Yeah. Attack yeah. material, right? So I, I wanted to be 
more like a James Fenimore Cooper and mythologize that story, like something like Last of the Mohicans, or I wanted to bring action into the into the uh, into the didactic elements, yes. so that I'm teaching history, but I'm also creating something that is like a gripping drama. And the characters that you created, you obviously put care into them because when, once you start reading, we care about them. Do you know, they, they instantly are close to your heart and you want them to win, <laughs> do you know? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I learned a long time ago as a, as a novelist that you have to really invest in your, in your characters. Yeah. I wrote, my first novel was, uh, I broke it up into six novels, but I'm going to republish it as, as one big novel, which was the original intention. It was called Beginner's Loop, and it was a very interesting story about a character named Luke who was imagining his existence. Okay. And he was sort of a James Thurber-esque <laughs> character who was really actually inventing his reality constantly. And it was, it was an incredibly irreverent story and that kind of thing. But I knew so much about this character. I think it was Ibsen, the playwright, he was asked one time about one of his characters. It might have been Julie... Miss Julie, I think I think that's the uh, the right connection. Okay. And uh, I can't remember uh, if if that was if that was the right person, but he was asked something about why she was a certain way, and he launched into this really long story about something that had happened in her childhood okay. that he had never written about. Ah, okay. He had simply imagined it. He had been with her deeply enough to know what her childhood was like and what had happened in her childhood. So I, I, I have a lot of experience now at this point in my writing career, identifying with my characters very deeply. My, the second novel that I wrote was called Snooze, A Story of Awakening. You mentioned that in the opening. Yeah. And it's about a character named Max, whose mother dies in childbirth. And it has the effect of kind of opening up his ability to travel into the dream world. Okay. And, you know, Max is someone that I spent so much time with. He's not me. I, I, I'm not like Max in any ways. <laughs> He's not like me, but I spent a tremendous amount of time with him. I spent a tremendous amount of time with his friends and yeah. his family members where I, I understood them very well. So I, I got it. I, I knew that to, to make people care about your characters, you have to care about your characters. Absolutely. You should. And, uh, so did you become, did you, did you go dreaming? Did you enter dreams, etc.? Was that a possibility? Did you experience anything as real as that? Yeah, in some ways. I mean, I've had some extremely mystical experiences. I write about, I write about uh, one experience I had with these lights that appeared in the sky and came across the water. I wrote about that in, in Potentiate Your DNA, which yeah. is a, a mystical experience that I had down in, in Brazil. But some of my earliest dreams were dreams of flying, and that's how Snooze starts out, is he's, he's flying, but he's actually flying in the dream world. Brilliant. And he begins bringing back objects from the dream world, and he puts them in an old Lego box under his bed. Okay, proof of the dream world. Proof of the dreams, and yeah. it gets weirder and weirder and weirder and weirder as the, as the novel goes along. Fantastic. Now, you've mentioned um, uh, Potentiate Your DNA, and it... it, it absolutely features in the novel um with the i suppose i can say it with the the bird language 
Sure, language of the birds. Yeah, sure. w- would you like to, to share with, with my listeners what that is and how it come about and all the rest of it and how it links into reality? Sure. Uh, in the in the novel, in Callie the Destroyer, the language of the birds is a vowel-only language that's spoken by members of, what are, of what's called the bird tribes, and it's used for healing purposes. I suppose it's a little bit like you know, in the Lord of the Rings, when uh, when Frodo is injured by the Nazgul's blade and he's taken to Elrond, and you see him chanting, and then Frodo is is ultimately healed. It's a little bit like that, I suppose, in its in its uh, yeah. presentation. But the language of the birds is actually something that uh, scholar William Henry writes about, and others have written about it, and it is a it is a it is a, an ancient healing language that is a vowel-only language. And when I was very sick years ago, I had been damaged by, by I call them jack-scenes. I was jack-scene damaged <laughs> and uh, was basically dying or wished I was dead sometimes. And in over the course of my research and then, a series of mystical experiences, including the ones with the lights that I just mentioned, I was given a series of codes. My partner and I were given these 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 codes that were vowels that we were meant to to sing and to think at the same time simultaneously, mm. and that cured me. And it became the work that I do in sound healing called the Regenetics Method, and thousands of people all around the world have experienced this and had extraordinary benefits. Yeah. So Callie the Destroyer is kind of a, a how-to book for regenetics, even though it's not about regenetics, because I, I actually teach you how to do this, this sound and light combination, which I call double intoning in the regenetics work. Yeah. So you, you read about how to do the language of the birds in Callie, even though it's fictionalized. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, I mean, you know, my wife asked me how I was getting on reading the book, and I said, "Well, this isn't fiction; it's faction." <laughs> you know, faction. I like that. It really is faction, and, yeah. and I, I was aware of walking between those worlds. I and mean, you know, obviously, there's the whole pandemic aspect to the book. There's the whole Jacksonation, eugenics, depopulation aspect. There's the deep state, cabal, Illuminati aspect. Yeah, everything absolutely. we're against now. And uh, what I do with that with the current situation as i map it into a possible future where we have been divided and conquered and recolonized by the banking families basically yeah god bless, you know, god in bless a futuristic the- world that has affinities to maybe if you cross hunger games and the handmaid's tale you get a little bit of that <laughs> yeah no I, I hear you i tell you what i i didn't know whether to say during our introduction uh, God bless the fatherland, or may the luminous child awaken in you. Those are those are really well juxtaposed, Sean. <laughs> those are the, you know, God bless the fatherland, and of course, then there's God damn the fatherland at the very end. Oh, you gave that away. Yes, indeed, there is. Uh, do you know what? It, it's a fantastic book, and I don't, I, I'm just going to sound like a fucking harping on as though it's oh, it's so good. I'm licking the author's ass, but honestly, mm-hmm. if it was shite, I'd be telling you. Or if I had questions that I was I was puzzled about too much, I'd be asking you. Um, but basically, also, it's a good versus evil, rebels versus the bastards. It's it's 
big boys versus the little ones. Um, and obviously we hope and pray that the little ones come out on top. That's basically it, isn't it, as well? Yeah, it's kind of like our current situation, you know, right now. That's it? such a reflection on where we are. Isn't it? And you mentioned jackscenes, or, or as, as, as we call them in this world, vaccines. Um, in, this, in the same light, you actually... You, oh, I don't know how much I'm allowed to be saying about this, about your book. They... It, they the jack scenes are used for far more than just helping it along, aren't they? They, they? As in the real world, they're not just helping some sort of virus, are they? Right, right. Uh, they're they're certainly used for control purposes. Yes. And to, to give some perspective on that, I had a really interesting conversation yesterday with uh, Dr. Bear Lando. Um, he's a, a holistic doctor. He's based in Northern California. And he's been a a pretty vocal critic of, of the germ theory mm. and the, the idea that uh, there is a, a virus here at all, yeah. frankly. And a uh, really brilliant uh, person who's done all kinds of work in microscopy and pleomorphism and just a, a very brilliant thinker. And he's got a big farm up there where he does all of these, these, these herbs and other, other uh, healing healing plants. Uh, it's amazing what he's doing. His name is spelled B-A-R-R-E, Bear Lando, L-A-N-D-O. You can look him up. Right. Okay. But he, we're talking about what these vaccines or these vaccines are doing. We were talking about this so-called shedding or transmission phenomenon. Yeah. And we were, we were uh, discussing how there's really no scientific evidence at all to support the idea that vaccines shed anything. Uh, physical, molecular. So, it's, 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 this is really just another psyop. Yeah, I was going to say, just to, just to make us fear other people. Yeah. It's just another form of racism, vaccinated versus unvaccinated. It's the same playbook of separation as quarantines, lockdowns, masks, yeah. etc. Yeah. Every time you bang the desk, your microphone goes boom. <laughs> oh, I'm, I, I, I didn't even realize I was doing that. I apologize. That's okay. That's okay. I didn't uh, burst anyone's eardrums. <laughs> no, it's okay. So, uh, the, but what they are transmitting is they're transmitting what we always transmit between each other, which is frequency. Right. So we are constantly transmitting our DNA is an antenna. It is a receiver and a transmitter of frequency and information. Yeah. Our, our brain itself. Anytime we come in contact with other people, our, our energy fields are communicating. And it's entirely possible for someone who has been vaccinated in such a way as to damage their DNA and distort their energy field for that person to come in contact with another person and make that person sick. Right. Not necessarily deathly ill, but it can disrupt the, the second person's energy field and cause problems. Absolutely. Hmm. I've always known and that. I've always... This is what's going on, and I believe there could be. Uh, some example here of of mass delusional psychosis and uh, and other types of uh, psychosomatic illness in mm. play. Mm. And and do you think? I mean, I know how powerful governments and and I suppose Big Brother is. Uh, do do you think? Because I do um, that mass hypnosis and brainwashing has been used basically to mold and train proletariat for centuries. Uh, I absolutely uh, believe that. I, I published uh, an article 
I mean, this is this is a a very uh, important topic, and people tend to poo-poo this. Mm. I don't I don't know why, because really everything starts as a as a thought, yes, and then it manifests in reality. So if you want to get back to the beginning of things, you need to go back to the initial thought impulse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I, I was I was looking for something on my blog. I published an article. This is at snooze to awaken.com at snooze and then the number two awaken.com. Okay. And the blog title is COVID, the plot thickens, vaccines, shedding, and transmission, and those are in quotes. <laughs> and this is by the author of What Really Makes You Ill or co-author Don Lester. Really oh. brilliant writer. Yeah, Don so, Don's been ben, on the show, uh, so Oh, fantastic. Well, I love Dawn, and uh, I don't agree with everything she says, but she you know, is such a wonderful researcher. Mm. And in this, in this article, just to quote her, she, she talks about the, the nocebo effect. It's the opposite of the placebo effect. Mm. The nocebo, nocebo effect, she's writing here, is a powerful demonstration of the power, power of the mind. The placebo and nocebo effects are usually thought of with respect to the experience of an individual. However, Dr. Lissa Rankin explains in her book, Mind Over Medicine, that the nocebo effect is not limited to individuals and can be experienced by a group of people, Mm. which is also referred to as mass psychogenic illness. Wow. It is abundantly clear that the world population has certainly been subjected to mass fear-mongering for more than a year, and there's more than ample evidence of the harmful effects of living in a constant state of fear. It cannot therefore be dismissed that there is likely to be an element of a mass nocebo effect. And similarly, I I would just point out that Dr. Joseph Mercola, I have another blog on a post by him on my blog, one of his articles, and it, I think the title is "The World Is Suffering from Mass Delusional Psychosis." Yeah, and it, it's obvious, isn't it? And uh, what what is it that's stopping some people from being hypnotized and brainwashed, and others from totally being, you know, pushovers for it? Do you know what I mean? It seems to like seventy percent of people. I'm just plucking percentages out of the air. It seems like 70% of people are, are totally brainwashed, hypnotized, and really don't know what the fuck they're doing. And the other 30% are like, oh no, fucking hell, look at this, are actually aware of it all and, and don't get brainwashed. Well, I, I wish I, I knew with certainty, but the first thing that came to mind when you were asking that question is frequency. Okay. It's people's personal vibration. Okay. I think that people who vibrate higher, and I'm just, I'm going to get woo-woo here, I think that that is a measure of consciousness. Okay, that's very interesting. And you can go into, um, well, there's there's been a, a lot of interesting work uh, over the years on uh, things like kinesiology, ways of measuring consciousness. Mm. I'm, I'm trying to remember, there's a, there's a very famous series of books uh, if I remember, I cannot remember the author's name, but I reference it in some of my own books. So it's been a, a few years since I wrote those. But he came up with a a, a a scale of consciousness and a way of measuring it using kinesiology. And you move straight up out of kind of animalistic consciousness all the way up through you know guilt and shame and fear and all of that into higher levels of consciousness. And there's a threshold as I interpret it, that when you pass over this threshold that you can't really be affected by certain things. Aha, right, okay. And as your consciousness goes up, so does your, so too does your, your immune system. So you become 
more immune to even physical assaults. And this gets into epigenetics, the, our, the ability of our minds, our thought process, our emotions to actually change our biology or strengthen our biology. It can also weaken our biology. Yeah, yeah. Well, over, over the years, and I, I did say I might touch on it a little bit, there are things that I know exist that, that, that don't get utilised by the human species for some strange reason. I just know it. Well, they do, actually. They use it for bad, so maybe that's why we're not given the gift of having it perfectly. But things like telepathy, I know that exists. Experienced it lots of times. Um, can uh, Been able to move objects, been able to change your bodily frequency and move, walk through walls. Not painted ones, as it happens. I think the oil-based, whatever it is, doesn't let you. Um, there's loads of things that I know exist you know i know that people certain people can travel to different dimensions i know that that can happen i know that all these other things can happen so it's just beyond me that we're not taught at school i remember being very very small very little and realizing that my brain i didn't know about my whole body but i, I thought my brain oh my god it, it's a receiver and a transmitter i'm getting these thoughts they're not my thoughts this is weird i'm i'm not horrible i'm not being a... do you know that's great yeah, so so I knew that that's what it is. So when I, you know, I still get bad thoughts, but they're not mine, so I, I ignore them. And not always, maybe, <laughs> okay? But um, it's really important to be aware. Once you're aware, there's a certain amount of control we can take back. Well, this gets into the Archons, doesn't it? Yes, yes, let's go there. Tell, tell people, first of all, who the heck are Archons? What are they? How are they in the real world? And how do they end up in your book? Okay, this goes back to John Lash's interpretation of the Gnostic writings. Okay. The, and this is part of his fallen goddess scenario, which I I fictionalize heavily. It's heavily fictionalized yes. in my book, and I add my own elements and my own interpretations to it, so it's not a verbatim or exact translation of his work in any way. No, but do you know what? It's an absolutely fantastic explanation of how evil is here. Yes, I guess you could say that Callie the Destroyer, the biggest question in the entire book is, what is evil? Yeah. And the second biggest question is, what can we do about it? Yes, exactly. I mean, I mean I've always said, you know, that, that all of us are evil or good, and all of us have the choice all the way through to do yeah, what we Yeah, I think there's truth to that. Uh, I know... Um, I think uh, there's a whole, there's a, a new, I don't know how new it is, but it's a study. It's called Ponderology. Okay. And it is, it is, uh, it is a subdivision of theology and it is the study of evil. Okay. Right. So, so we're really, it's a book, this is a book and a discussion about Ponderology in many ways. And in the, the Gnostic text, as interpreted by John Lash, evil is actually not part of the human the native human condition. Oh, brilliant, yeah. Evil is an artifact of our infection, which is an interesting word to use, and he uses it liberally, mm -hmm. by a mind parasite of so, an extraterrestrial nature. So the Archons are extraterrestrial mind parasites. Correct. Wow. Correct. Okay. And they were created by the goddess before she became the plant. Why? They were created as an aspect of 
that were created as a result of her panic mm. as she tumbled through space, having fallen out of galactic center. Ah, they, that's right. Sorry. They were part of her trauma. They were part of her trauma. So they right. are a projection of her shadow self. Right. Okay. Her shadow side. It also means that they are our half-brothers and sisters. Well, we are all one, aren't we? Well, that's that's an interesting concept, yes. Mm. <laughs> they end, so the Archons are extraterrestrial beings that that would, in this, in this model, in this theory, in this story, in this myth, however you want to define it, mm-hmm. they live on the other planets in the solar system, not on Earth. Uh, the goddess protects us from their their colonization, although they're terraforming and all of that. But that she creates oxygen, which is highly toxic to them. Brilliant. They they are they are divided into two types: the archons. There there is the the drone archon, which would be your gray aliens, which look a little bit like aborted fetuses. Okay. And then there are the Draco reptilian archons including the biggest of them all the lord archon the lord their god is it the lord their god and also according to john's interpretation that would also be the god of the old testament okay okay i, I mean there's lots of tomfoolery isn't it when, you, when when people realize that the catholic church is just one of the richest banks on the planet with pedophile rings sex and there you go i mean the catholic letter. church would absolutely be worshiping the lord archon <laughs> in this in this this way of looking at things yeah it's not to say that everyone who is trying to connect with god and who happens to be catholic or christian is doing so no of course not i mean no i mean because in in gnosticism there is the real god with a capital g that is the creator of all things that does exist in gnosticism and it's very important it's called the originator yeah and the originator is part of Callie the Destroyer that yeah. plays a role in the story. And you say people don't know. I, I mean, it's like the lower echelons of Freemasonry. They have, haven't a clue. They're, they're out there doing, you know, jumble sales and thinking they're making raising money for local charities. So it, it, it's really incredible how we're fooled. Um, you know, I know that people who light candles for their dead relatives every single day are actually taking part in the ceremony of burning of care. <laughs> you know, you get rid of care, what have you? We've got people who don't care less, and then each person is careless. So it's just unbelievable. Wow, wow. I had not actually processed that. That's fascinating. Yeah, I, I'm a wordsmith, a bit of a poet. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. Yeah. You're right. There are so many everyday rituals, tiny little things. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's so many aspects of the law and, you know, what uh, what the court, well, you know this well, and I know from your some of your stories, you know this extremely well from personal experience, but, you know, what understanding is and what the court actually is and yeah. all of these things that we just take for granted at face value that are just layered with dark meanings. Yeah, no, it, it is incredible. And and we live in a very strange world where it seems to be that the scum gets to the top. And, and, and we also live in a reverse do you know we live in in in, in a, a negative version of the but we're, we're the negative part of the photography you know um it, it's quite incredible a lot of what i've realized over the years uh to be true to me have been the opposite of what i've been told yes i i i'm coming out with 
this this uh, book sometime later this year called Musings from a Small Island. So it's not that one's not actually published either. But I'm 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 one part of it. It's a, it's a, it's comedic. It's 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 a it's humor. It's also memoir. But I'm giving a lesson in how to interpret media, and it's basically just turn it around. It's extremely simple, and 99% of the time you will be correct. Well, I mean, this isn't in, aren't we made in the Lord's image? And if we're made in the Lord's image, an image in a mirror is is reverse. Right, right. And if you want to think about the Lord being the Lord Archon, that gets really weird because <laughs> the Lord Archon wants to to is incredibly is incredibly narcissistic and vain and he believes that he created everything that he is the originator right and the irony and his name in the the, the gnostic works is saklas okay the irony which means blind the irony is that he's blind he, <laughs> oh, he can't see and that's a that is a, a real thing but it's also a metaphor for his mindset and so the archons even though they are masters of illusion they are blind to the truth incredible yeah that's that's lovely i mean so let me let me aside are archons real are people archonized i mean have you heard of vrills and vrilling well that does sound a lot like something from the archontic world what what lash is quick to point out is that because the archons if if they are in fact real beings mm. because they are such masters of manipulation I mean, look at our world. It is pure manipulation on every level. Absolutely. Pure deception. And what, what is organizing all of that? And what is organizing that over the many centuries? One of the nice things about the Archontic concept is that it, it explains how there could be such an organized program that goes for millennia. Yeah. Because the Archons, relative to human lifespans, are very long-lived, possibly immortal. So we, so we, as the human race, if you like, are a bit of a, I suppose, a baby being born to a spoiled child's family. Yes, with parents who hate us and detest, uh, and detest the, our, our shared mother. They're, they're really after the mother. They're one, they're, they're, they want to destroy the earth or make it their own. Yeah, no, that is, 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 and so it's tremendous jealousy. They're, they're, the the root of this evil is kind of jealousy rooted in in some type of shame. I've always said that the opposite of love is not fear; it's shame. Okay, yeah, yeah and that's yeah. very that's very much a, a subject of of my work in regenetics, where our, our our biggest energetic liabilities have to do with shame and embarrassment and lack of self-worth. Well, shame and guilt have been taught for eons in every, pretty much every religion that exists on this planet. Absolutely. But it's a truism these days, a truism that isn't true, I believe. That yeah, I, I think... Love, it, I think... love and fear are opposites. I, I, I think it's love and shame. That's just my personal opinion. And my personal opinion is love and anger. So, you know, because mm. it, it, yep. I, th I think when I get angry, I, I seem to lose my love. So... I don't know. It's, it's... Having said that, I would say that that, that anger, this is, this is a part of the meditation of Kali coming back to that, yeah. that anger is a part of the divine masculine. It can come out of love. Yeah, it can. Yeah, you're right. And that, that anger coming out of love can be used to defend that which matters. Yeah, and shame doesn't need and, to and exist. And we need more anger now today than ever from 
those people embodying the sacred masculine. <laughs> and, and, and for what it's worth, women and all uh, women, men, and all genders in between can embody the sacred masculine. Yeah, absolutely, and the sacred feminine, of course. Why wouldn't they? And it's re it's really important to know that we're actually in a war at the moment, aren't we? And it is a spiritual war. Um, absolutely. And, and and those and those that walk the talk and talk the walk the walk and talk the talk, if you like, and that, and that really is just people who would genuinely not harm anyone and would care for people and would care for their planet and all the all that's around them. Um, we need to be stronger and we need to form together and, and, and we're being divided and split up so much and uh, you know I, I, I'm called mad all the time and as you say anger is okay um, I, I'm called mad often by various people well do you know what I am mad I'm fucking livid <laughs> yes I have much of that too and I try to channel it into into various aspects of my work to expose to 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 inspire people to stand up this is really i think my contribution is in helping people see more clearly in this instance in cali it's like who is the enemy yeah and and the enemy ultimately is this system of off-world controllers who use their infection of the minds of a certain part of the population that when we would call these people maybe the illuminati or the cabal or the deep state they they control their minds and these are the proxies who do the dirty work for the archons. Absolutely, and and uh, one in particular, a character within that that goes all the way through and shows himself to be the biggest character in the book, I suppose. Um, I'm not going to give too much away, but he starts off as a friend, you see, and then stabs him in the back, and that happens so so much. You know, over the years, experience people that get close to you sometimes <laughs> can end up doing some awful things. So that comes out in in the book but also he carries the flag really of all the elite families doesn't he yes yes he's certainly the embodiment and you have a sense that he has that his family has over time has cannibalized the other families right right yeah and 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 he's obviously possessed yes oh yes yes yeah. very much in that archontic way <laughs> yeah yeah uh, he'd be shouting, God bless the fatherland, because it was his father's land, probably. Absolutely. What does he say? Um, there's a line, um, you know, is this, is it uh, really pretentious to quote myself? He says uh, <laughs> yes, something about money. I, I own it all anyway. It doesn't matter. I own all the money anyway. That's right. That's right. It's, it's very funny. Uh, um it really was great. There were things that came in that you, you might have invented yourself or you might have ripped off from somewhere else, but it all worked together so, so really, really well. Like the uh, the lever trains or whippers, as you call them, and uh, um, I suppose the difference between shallow earth and deep earth. Um, those are things maybe we can touch upon. And also, um, I suppose, if I'm going to mention the whippers, um, maybe Juice's motorbike. Right, right. Yeah, well, it's futuristic and sci-fi. Yeah. And so, so they, they, are using, they are using technology that's based in some kind of gravitational fusion, some type of anti-gravity tech that creates uh, different, different uh, possibilities for flying vehicles and that kind of thing. So one of the characters has a flying bike, and uh, that, that comes in handy as they're... As, uh, the, the the lovers in the story, Callie and Jews, are trying to escape from the fatherland. Yeah, 
No, absolutely. And yes, there's and there's and there's there's another place that they're going, which is not the fatherland, but it's not anywhere we know about. A hidden, it's a hidden and secret place. I was going to say a hidden place. Right. I don't know how to talk about that without you know giving too much away, but uh, you know they are going somewhere else. <laughs> okay. Um... Okay, one of the things I wanted you to to maybe touch on is um, animal spirits and how they come about within and how they're used, and obviously from the bird language, but also other um, spiritual guidance, I suppose, from different animals and how they uh, connect it to humans. Sure. Well, obviously, I didn't make that up at all. This is this is a, a key component to shamanism and and indigenous cultures all over the world. The idea that that people have various types of connections to animals and they get power, knowledge, inspiration, guidance from these animals. And many times they identify with the animals themselves. My first spirit animal was crow. Okay. So my website is crowrising.com. Indeed. Yeah. And, and, and obviously, uh, obviously the crow is uh, heavily um, in the book, isn't it? Sure. Sure. The, the main character, her name is Callie Crowell, spelled C-R-O-W-E-L-L. So Crow is actually in her name. Yeah. It... And Crow features very, you know, very prominently. So there's a lot of discussion about spirit animals and that kind of thing. One of the one of the concepts in the book is that the the various languages, religions, cultures, the knowledge that we have here on on our planet actually came from another race of people who, who had a diaspora and and brought all of that with them. And I won't say anything more about that, but that's where that would have been where so many of the indigenous teachings, the the uh, the information about spirit animals, totem animals would have come from, would have been from this original uh, race. And it's not has nothing to do with skin color because that, that original race is actually mixed a mixture of all the races so the the idea of, of separation of race is also kind of debunked uh in 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 this book at least in a fictional way it's a theoretical construct yeah i mean i mean you have a go at an awful lot of things and obviously the Ku klux klan are sort of mentioned and uh, very cleverly actually as a name of a i think it was a record um was it a well, that, a record label the Klansman was maybe uh, something like a tabloid or something like That's that. That's right. It was a, yeah. It was later on in the book, and it was a, it was definitely either a record label or a media outlet of some description. Yeah, and obviously that that black hating racist propaganda was what the fatherland put forward. The the um the the blacks were given a, an even separate identity, weren't they? Right, and completely segregated and marginalized sort of in the apartheid model. Yeah. And you, you call them, what was it? POCs. POCs, uh, persons of color. And I just thought it was treated like a piece of crap. Yes. And that was the joke. Yeah. Good man. Good man. <laughs> so, so... I, I didn't make that explicit, but I thought that some people would get that. Yeah, so you're well... very bright and you got it. So Look... thanks. Yeah, uh, I, I'm not feeling too bright, to be honest. But uh, but um, Callie, the character, um, in her real world, um, was a celebrity. I can say that, can't I? 
Sure. Yeah. She's yeah. a singer. There you go. And, and uh, she's uh, also set to be a movie star at, at one point. That That's part of the unfoldment of the plot. So you, you see that as it happens. And yeah. How she's preparing for her role during the novel. And, uh, in a, in a, I guess a martial arts film, mm-hmm. some kind of kung fu film. It's set, you know, 200 years in the future. Brilliant. So, um, the, I mean, the action from there where she's a pop star, she's well-known and all the rest of it, would, would make it quite shocking for her to, to, to be the rebel, if you like, because she was in the public eye. So uh, when she went off to do her thing, it was uh, a familial thing, wasn't it? It was, it was basically she had to do it because uh, she was destined to do it. Yes. Well, there's a huge meditation, an ongoing meditation on destiny and fate versus free will in the novel. Mm. And, you know, I, I don't know that that's ever definitively settled in terms of the, the my perspective, but the author, the characters give different perspectives on, on that debate. And it's uh, certainly affects her because she ends up ends up uh, doing what she was meant to do which is be the destroyer mm. well that, that's a difficult one to call her really because even though that is exactly how it it pans out um one wouldn't really call her the destroyer would would one unless we were talking about destroying everything about a corrupt disgusting despicable nasty evil system Right, right. The destroyer has a very specific meaning in, in this in this mythology that I'm creating, and it, it has to do with uh, creative destruction, perhaps. Indeed, indeed. Now, her family were quite quite uh, out there. I mean, her father was a character, of course, and um, her, her, sorry, her her. I better not give any plot away. Yeah, her dad, she lived in with before all the adventures. Um, was one type of guy and her mum was gone or disappeared and she had a sort of a stepmother type scenario right, right. scenario and, a, and a, a, a brother who was um, okay when he was born for a few years but once jacksonated he was um, then autistic right so there, that's back to this idea that that Jacksons do in fact call, cause autism. And you can look into Dr. Wakefield's amazing work on this subject. Yes, I've met him and spoken to him about it and heard him speak, fantastic. Yeah. So, I mean, it's absolutely true. And doing the work that I do, I, I see it all the time. And, and we've had many reports from clients of Regenetics, uh, clients so with uh, children with autism who have reported really great improvements in their children after after uh, they've experienced uh, some of this work. So that's that's hopeful, but it also tells me, because I, I believe that this work is designed to, to help undo uh, jacksine damage or to kind of immunize one against it, yes. uh, pun intended. Mm. Uh, so I, I believe that it's actually doing something at the DNA level to help the DNA heal, and then that has lots of benefits in terms of physical health and mental health. So to see this work helping kids with autism is, is is really interesting, but it also is another proof for me that that, that the Jacksons do cause autism. Yeah, yeah. And so so I put this in Kelly the Destroyer, this whole autistic theme related to the the Jacksons, and there's a character that that applies to specifically who's Callie's brother or stepbrother. Exactly, and 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 uh, that's a you know the. 
what's really lovely about it is that there are strings or strands of other stories within the story and that 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 keeps it quite vibrant and uh, like you know like playing a, a nicely tuned guitar and um you know, I, you know, one one of the areas that where I learned to do that wasn't so much in reading other novels as it was watching TV shows, right? Okay, yeah. and how like Northern Exposure and really good TV shows that interweave things throughout the episodes for a very long time. Yes, yes, and they they keep they keep those threads going, and, and really, I, I probably got more out of watching good TV shows and think such things do exist, although that maybe they're becoming rarer. But I learned that from, from watching more so than from reading. Yeah, it's amazing because I haven't watched TV properly for years and years and years. I, I might watch the odd sporting live thing, but um, Northern Exposure... Yeah, something like Breaking Bad, you know. Yeah, North, Northern, Ex- Northern Exposure... You know, was, was... Really, really, I mean, when I, when, I'm, when I say this about learning from TV, I'm really talking about some genius level shows with tremendously gifted writing yeah yeah no it's it's great and i love the way the strands work together and the subject matter keeps coming up again and again and again and and that's really clever it's needed really with the story because you could get lost if you aren't reminded about what's going on in the background all the time absolutely it's like pinging you you keep pinging on these subjects because ultimately all of the subjects are interrelated Hmm. I think of it as a, I sort of think of the, the novel, really, this, this, this applies to Callie, it also applies to the last novel I wrote, Snooze, you start out with a frayed rope, but you're following it as it becomes less and less frayed towards the other end, mm. and by the end of the novel, the rope is a rope again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's a good thing to do. And we, we, there were a few balancing acts on the way, and and real, you know, actual balancing acts with some of the um, action that took place. Um, I won't give too much away about that, but that bloody motorbike's pretty cool. Anyway, um, it's... Uh, that would be a good thing for for cinema, wouldn't it? The the motorbike could be. A, I, I would think if you were making a movie. Uh... You would have fun with the way that motorbike looks. It would be brilliant. And also, you know, the language of birds and all the rest of it would be quite quite incredible. And um, Callie... Now, now, Lee, my partner, she loves the petticoats. <laughs> she thinks that... She, she said, I would love to be the, the, uh, the couture expert for this, for this movie. Yeah. I would love to actually design the dresses and, and help decide on, you know, the different looks for the different characters because it's such a huge element. And I, I, I confess, I mean, I'm a manly man in many ways, but I also like fashion and I like fashion shows. And so, you know, I've, I've watched Sex and the City multiple times, you know, <laughs> all of these different shows, many actually. Okay. Uh, the Devil uh, Wears Prada, et cetera. And and I was thinking about many of many of these these uh, fashion shows as I was writing about fashion in the Fatherland, and 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 uh, and in Tula as well, the other place. Yeah, yeah. So so you're naming the places. Can we elaborate on those places or not? Well, the Fatherland is where Callie's from, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's that's that the Fatherland is basically the United States. Canada and Mexico down in, down into the maybe the very top of South America. Right. And it's on steroids. We're talking FEMA camps. We're talking horrible situations and people really right. living in slavery. Right, right. And then there is another place 
that is is again it's not not identifiable in, in the present maps that we have called Tula mm -hmm. and I, I don't want to give away exactly where that is but it's where another group of people the original people live yeah and they th that's the bird tribes and they have an entirely different culture and it's really patriarchy versus matriarchy so the fatherland is obviously the patriarchy and Tula is the matriarchy yeah, I actually think, uh, you know, put a little aside in there that, uh, you know, we've had a, a massively failed patriarchy um, and, you know, it became an evil cesspool of a patriarchy over the, over the centuries. But prior to that, I really think we had a failed matriarchy and it's about time we got together. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, there, even though Tula is a matriarchy, yes. they have very clear... Uh, a very clear understanding of how to make the sexes work and how to make genders work together. Yes, yeah. Yeah, there are a few and, little... Can we talk on the, those little bits? I mean, you know, keeping them them segregated by their own choice as well. Yeah, it's certainly based on choice. It's not based on birth. There's no, there's no uh, you know, hardcore uh, locking in of anybody based on sex or gender or situations or anything like that. The, the concept is that, that there is a divine feminine and there is a divine masculine. And those, are the, those come down to us from the aeons. The aeons are the, are the divine beings that created the human species, which is also called the anthropos in, in Cali. And this was also a word that John Lash used in his, in his work on the Gnostic writings. Yes. So the divine feminine and divine masculine are part of who we are because that is who our parents are. They are the embodiments of the divine feminine and the divine masculine. So those are the poles that we work with within ourselves. Having said that, anybody can have elements of both, and we all have elements of yes, both. Yes, yeah. And the, the society of Tula has, has a very uh, long-standing well-developed knowledge of how to maximize those character traits and how to blend them together and how to have how, how to have the divine feminine and masculine work productively and non-competitively with each other to achieve really marvelous outcomes in society yeah well that's what we're aiming for C can you explain to people who don't really know what it is but hear the word quite often um can you explain kundalini Sure, and this is this is the way I use it in, in this book. It's the it's essentially the way I'm the way I'm defining it in Cali might differ from some other definitions of it, and that's fine because this is a, this is a work of fiction. But in Cali, Kundalini is the the energy of the Mother Earth given to her children that comes up through our feet that touch the earth and comes up our spines and infuses our being. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah, that's that. That sounds good to me. It sounds, sounds pretty good to me. Um, I suppose it's difficult to to not give away too much, but um, can we talk about maybe um, you've brought potentiating your DNA and, and and your previous work obviously into the book, and that is what the I suppose that is the scale, or that they, those are the scales of the the bird languages, etc., for different songs, for different ailments, for different things. Um, yes. Can, can can that be uh, elaborated on a bit more? Um, can, I don't, you know, 
not necessarily saying what's in the book, uh, the, the, the novel, but maybe explaining to people how they can potentiate their DNA very in a synopsized sort of way. Well, this is this goes back to the regenetics work in the book, Potentiate Your DNA. You can learn how to, to potentiate your own DNA. So I teach in that book, I teach you how to do it specifically. Callie is more of a theoretical explanation or a conceptual explanation for uh, how this quote-unquote language of the birds, how it works and how you would go about doing it for different things in, in a fictionalized world. So there's a, there's a scene where someone has suffered a, broken ankle and this this person who is a master of the language of the birds sings sings uh, a particular song for mending the bone mm. now it's very interesting i know that uh ken carey i don't know if you're familiar with his writings no i'm not he wrote return of the bird tribes okay very famous book from um i think from the 80s uh, or maybe possibly early 90s but i think it was from the 80s he wrote a series of really, really interesting books, but in, in that book or one of his other books, he theorized on songs in the future when we would be able to harness the power of molecular biology through music and sound and language to do things exactly like that. Wouldn't it be great? We could heal organs, uh, mend broken spines, all of these things through a kind of angelic language. And he's really talking about the, the language of the birds, even though he does not, to the best of my knowledge, he doesn't use that phrase. He calls them songs of distinction. Right. So even in Regenetics, we have a series of songs that we call songs of distinction in honor of Ken Carey's amazing work. In Cali, you have different examples of songs for, for doing certain things, for helping people sleep. Uh, there's songs for arousing uh, a partner. There's all kinds of songs that one can, can use using the vowels uh, that are paired with a spoken line that you're singing or chanting and a, and, a, and a subtextual line that you're thinking simultaneously. So you might have the sound of an A paired with the sound of an O, and those are different, or they could be the same vowel on, on top of an, on, on it, another that just sound, That sounds really, really difficult. You've got to sing one note and think another note. Well, what, what you know, I think that this is a, another quote from the book, is that people, people say... Well, say one thing while thinking another all the time, right? <laughs> <laughs> so actually, it's natural to us. Okay, okay. I haven't tried it, but okay. No, it's something one learns. It, it yeah. puts you into a kind of different mental state. It's very, I, I suppose you could call it meditative. It, it can definitely take you into a kind of deep dive into yourself when you do that. It can also space you out entirely where you're thinking about going out and shopping for groceries it, it doesn't you know it can have different effects depending on what state of mind you're in when you're doing the work and, and but it doesn't matter the, so the bottom line is, is that the vowels themselves have intrinsic power and when they're combined in certain ways they have different effects fantastic i mean, I mean myself and my wife were going to do after you were on the show last october we planned um actually to do um, the potentiation um in the new year as a bit of a New Year's resolution type thing. Then we had a chimney fire, no money. Then we had this, then we had that, and had the cars in the garage as we speak. So it didn't happen, right? But we would love to do that and and maybe give you feedback as to how it worked as well and, and, and share it with our family. Um, would this help people that have got, you know, chronic pains or, or um, maybe mental disorders or uh, depression? 
Well, obviously, I'm not a doctor. I can't make any medical claims. You can go to uh, phoenixregenetics.org okay. and just look at our testimonials, and it's really kind of mind-blowing to see what people have had to say about this work. So hmm. what, I, what I like to say is that I never know what it's going to do. The work is designed to be done with non-attachment. It's literally just offering well wishes to somebody for the highest good in, in all areas of their life. Yeah. And then... And then you give it away and you don't have attachment to it. There have been studies that have been done by academic institutions on the power of prayer, believe it or not. Yeah. Dr. Larry Dossey writes about this. And it's very, it's abundantly clear that the more attached you are to the outcome of your prayer, the less effective your prayer is. Wow. So the more attached to it, the less effective yes. it is. Yeah, that's interesting so because practice people, absolute non-attachment about the outcomes. You see, that is that's reverse again because when people are, if you don't mind me saying, uh, pushed into prayer, um, you know, they, 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 their last resort is prayer, if you like, and they've tried everything else. They're they're usually quite desperate and uh, absolutely, mm. as opposed to using it as a living meditation where you you ask God, you ask your your uh, your your higher power for help in some area and then you 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 blow it away like a feather and you move on with your life that's really how it should be done oh. and then you'll create much greater results wouldn't it do you know what i i mean that's just given me a little analogy in my head of something that i really really wish would change just with education it would change i live in ireland and it's a very catholic country and when people die sadly lots and lots and lots of the relatives and friends and family mourn for the rest of their lives that someone else has passed away and the fact is we all die we all lose mothers we all lose fathers we all lose children we, you know what i mean we absolutely need, we need to get over that massive attachment so that we can move on well i think that's that that kind of mentality or that that way of looking at death is woven into catholicism because you're hoping that this person didn't end up in hell <laughs> and on the odd chance that they are in hell, then that is something to be, to be lamented. But what if hell is here? What if this is hell? Yeah. And that's what I think. We're, this is hell. If there's a hell, we're living in it. What, what and, 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 you know, wherever you're going is not any worse than this. <laughs> well, do you know what? Um, we're here. So my view is that we create heaven or hell right here. And, and well, I, agree. I, I do think it's a function of consciousness. And I think that as, as consciousness expands and people become more aware, this is ultimately how we defeat the archontic agenda. Yeah, I mean, I, mean I, I, I just used to argue when I was younger. People used to say, you know, heaven and earth and all the rest of it. I said, well, do you not listen to the Lord's Prayer? Now, I was an altar boy in everything, soul, okay? Um, I said, look, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it was in heaven. So, hang on a second, we're creating heaven on earth. Well, fuck me, I'm seeing bullshit going on, wars going on, people in positions of power that should be in psych wards. I mean, anyway. Well, what gets really weird is if you take prayers like that, Sean, and substitute Lord Archon. <laughs> I've written a prayer. And, and then suddenly it makes perfect sense. And, and I hate to say that, and, and there will be people who will reject this out of hand, but other people might not. And when you see it that way, 
it's shocking, it's upsetting, and then you can't unsee it. No, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. Once you know things, you can't unknow them, can you? Um, um, I, I, I wrote a prayer. Only one prayer have I written. I write a lot of poetry, um, but I wrote it because I was supposed to be saying a prayer at my son's christening. This is twenty odd years ago. Okay, twenty two years ago. Um, so I wrote this. But do you want to hear it? Yes. Okay. Um, it's in my book, page thirty six. Okay. It's called Change the World We Live In and it's a very, very simple little prayer and I said it in the church down the road when my son was having his christening and it goes like this. Let's start again and get it right. Work by day and sleep by night if we're to win the greatest fight and change the world we live in. The here and now, it's all we need to act as one and all take heed and end the days of hate and greed for passing discretions, we're forgiven. Light the torch to guide our way and lead us through each single day and from the truth we'll never stray to change the world we live in. The good we do, it'll shine right through with every action that we do and love, it'll brighten up the view as this earth becomes our heaven. There you go. Oh, that's great. Gosh, I, I hate playing this game but I couldn't help hearing in a, in a very non-derivative, positive way, some Kipling going on in that. Uh, really, really beautiful, little Dylan Thomas. Wow, thank you. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, and I certainly agree with the entire sentiment. It's beautiful. Brilliant. And listen, I don't usually push me poetry, but people have been asking me to do it on me shows to my uh, interviewees, bless them. <laughs> I say go for it. It's a great way of interfacing. You well, know. well, I, I, mean, I, I, it, it's a wonderful. It's it's you know it shows that you have a, a long-standing relationship to the subject material. Yeah, well, it fitted in, didn't it? It fitted exactly what yep. we were talking about. And before the end of the show, and we've got another nearly an hour to go. Um, before the end of the show, if you want to hear another poem, I do a little thing which you might like. I I get people to pick a number between ten and ninety. Um, to make it not mean anything, just let the universe give themselves a number, and then I okay. and then I'll read the page number from the book. Sure, sure, yeah, I'll, I'll think about what number I would like. <laughs> Don't think too much; just let it happen. A one just popped into my head, so I. Should uh, we do I'll that now? Should we do it now before we go on, and then and then? Sure, uh, sure. Eighty-eight. Eighty-eight. Let me have a look at page eighty-eight. Dun dun dun. Back of the book. It's a very, very, very short poem. In fact, I think the shortest poem I've ever written. Okay. And it's on page 88, and it's called The Call. And it goes like this. The time is right for change, and we're waiting for the call to stand up and be counted in the last war of them all. We must all show our strength in the fight against what's wrong. The leaders who will guide us, they've been hidden far too long. There you go. Boy, that is incredibly timely. I've been seeing this phrase a lot on Twitter and other social media having to do with the vaccines. And you know, it's the phrase is the hill to die on. <laughs> this really? is my hill to die on. And so that, that, that really resonated with your poem that what those people are saying they're they are heeding the call, I think, and they're, they're, they're willing to stand up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's all to, uh, up to all of us. I mean, you know, uh, it's often said in your book, may the illuminous child awaken in you. Um, that's right may the luminous child awaken in you too so that is what we want to do isn't it we want everybody to i, I mean the, i think the reason i mean i'll be 56 in july and i'm and i'm still a 12 year old really having to crack 
Oh, I, I, I feel the same way. I look at myself in the mirror sometimes. I'm in my mid-50s. <laughs> and I'm like, God, I'm, I'm, I'm old. <laughs> How strange. Because yeah. I don't feel that way. No. You know, I spend a lot of, I spend a lot of my, my time uh, swimming and body surfing and biking and painting and doing all of these creative things. And, you know, I don't think of myself as an old person. I don't feel old in my body. I was sick for a long time. And after Regenetics, I rebuilt. Yeah. And I'm in a completely different place now. And I can I can go and go and go and go and go. And so I don't feel old. And so when I see myself, I'm like, oh, my goodness, that's really <laughs> strange. Yeah, well, listen, time is flying and, we're, and we are having fun. Get, getting back to the book, there are certain things that came up um, in the book. And I want to know if, if they're real or if they were fiction. Okay, so, for example, is birch good for the teeth? Yes, I love this. So there are a lot of facts given away. So I'm letting the listeners know there's quite a few little gems in there that I thought some of them I knew were true and some of them I didn't know. Uh, that was one I had no idea about birch and being good for the teeth. Mm -hmm. That is a, that's a very old remedy. There you go. So it's, in, it's important to get those things across. What you've done with this book, and, and how can I be telling you this? What you know you've done with this book is is you've laid it on the line how actually things are and how things might get if we don't cop the feck on that's right that's right it's a I kick mean, up the ass we're, we're headed into i mean we are you know there is a razor thin line separating us from a, a complete dystopia at the moment yeah it's not far and and you know let, let's just say israel and palestine are showing us what dystopian future could look like for the rest of us Sure, sure. And it's not surprising at all to me that it would be going on there. No, I mean, I mentioned that because it, that's the ongoing one, isn't it? <laughs> yes. And, and the, yeah, if you were going to roll the dice, that's the one that you would yeah. bet on. H having said that, I am Irish and uh, over 100 years of British uh, infiltration into our country is fucking rude. Oh, yeah. It's really interesting. I, you know, there's a series of shows, you know, you'd say you haven't watched TV in mm. a long time. But there have been a series of shows that, have, that I've seen over recent years where I feel like the, the British in their, their, their colonialism have been really exposed as just being absolute savages. Not, yeah. not that modern Brits are that way or that all, all Britain, uh, people from Britain are that way. But, for example, Outlander okay. is, just, is just amazing. It's an amazing expose of, of the the type of mentality that it would take to be the that colonizing force. Well, I have to ask you, what what is Outlander? Outlander is a show based on a novel by that that title, and it, it's okay. uh, it, it's uh, a story of a woman who time travels to Scotland. Oh, okay. And back in the 1700s, during the the Jacobite rebellion period. Okay. Okay. So, so uh... and, and, and she lives through the the, the battle of Poston Pans and all of that. Mm. I mean, I saw I saw a, a map um, shown to me by a friend who who wanted to get it framed, and he bought it at some auction. And it was a map of, um, well, when you saw it, it was a map of England, map of the UK, and it had um, Ireland wasn't involved. It was Wales, Scotland, and England, and it had these little pictures little tiny little pictures of, of what looked like a little flame dotted all the way around the whole of the the, the, the lands and, and what it was it was where they went to kill the witches there you go 
Now, that's a huge subject. I'd love to return to that. Um, one thing I want to say is that the reason I brought up the this this narrative about the savagery of Britain and its colonialism is that ties back into the archons because basically the power structure of the world is based on these three city-states. This is the archontic power structure. It's the Vatican, it's the city of London, and it's Washington, D.C. Yeah. It's, the, it's the religious, the financial, and the military arms yeah. you're, of you're... the deep state that is controlled ultimately by the archontic hive mind. Yeah. Just, just stop stop banging the desk. <laughs> okay. well, I'm very sorry. That's all right. So, yes, so, the, th- the three. So we've got Washington, D.C., we've got the, the borough of London, and we've got um, uh, the Vatican. Yeah, the those three and this it's a triumvirate they really are the corners of the of the triangle in which you have the all-seeing eye yes yeah ultimately so it's 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 not an accident that that uh that the great britain through uh through the uh the uh, their various uh traders the west indies company all of this kind of thing would have would have just engaged in these atrocities because yeah. they were being controlled by actually psychotic energies. No excuse. <laughs> you know, absolutely anti-human psychotic energy. So yeah. wherever this archontic mind goes, it creates madness, chaos, and genocide. So what you see, historically speaking, is that the archons so fear and hate the their mother, the goddess, that they and and the children of the goddess, the real children of the goddess, they're uh, us who could become the luminous children that are are prophesied to be their undoing. Yeah, that they have hunted down all of the goddess worshiping peoples wherever they are all over the world, and they've either killed them outright or they put them into extreme poverty and driven them into uh, you know decline in their population. For example, this is I mean look at what's happened with the uh, Aborigines in in, uh, in Australia, as as an example of uh, of a different way of of achieving a similar result, well, as opposed to witch burning. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I've said I've said many many times to many many people over the years since I was in my teens that if Jesus Christ came down to earth now, they'd inject him, stick him in a loony bin. That's what they would do with him. And that's probably what they have done. And I reckon there's millions of Jesus Christs all over the feckin' world who wanted to do good for this world and have been thrown into a cell, never to see the light of day again. Right, right. And from the from the Gnostic perspective, it, it's it's if the if the goddess showed up, and, you know, if she <clears throat> suddenly you know appeared as a human being, that's what they would do. And they and if and and because of the fact that she's the goddess, if Jesus showed up beside the goddess and the, the archons could only pick one to kill, they would kill the goddess. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But that, that, that's the one they're trying to exterminate. Yeah. There is a whole line of thinking here that, that the, 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 the Jesus thing, this is back to the Gnostic interpretation, is part of the psyop. Well, I, well I, 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 how can I put it? Well, I know it is. <laughs> you know and and once you start doing a bit of research once you start doing a bit of your own spiritual thinking i suppose you start to realize what's going on and there's nothing you know i think it's quite nice people say oh he's got a jesus complex well do you know what if everyone goes around and acts the way apparently the good jesus did then have a jesus complex i'd much rather that some other fucking complex that is causing grief absolutely absolutely i mean if you're going to to uh well, what I like, the, 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 the Jesus that I like is, especially these days, 
is the Jesus that went into the temple and kicked ass. Well, obviously. I mean, look where we are. I the, mean, that's, the really, that's really the Jesus that we need right now. Well, that's the uh, analogy. You know, turning, turning the other cheek, not so much at the moment. Yeah, well, that's the analogy we're in right now. The money lenders have taken over the house of God. And Correct. it's about time Correct. we need to kick the fuckers out. Yes. 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 It is that simple. Except they've got the military. They've got the pharmaceutical industry. They can drug us. They can maim us. They can even shame us, as you say. They can do all sorts to us. And they are fucking well doing it. They are. I mean, this is a this is a, a pretty, you know, in-depth conversation that we could have one of these days. But I, I think there are other signs, at least in the United States, uh, that... There, there. I believe that there is a massive sting operation going on, the sting and, that, the, and that the deep state is about to be taken down at some point in the not terribly distant future, or at least the beginnings of that process will become more visible. Well, and I, I, I continue to see evidence that that's that's the case. I, I blogged a little bit about it. Mostly, I stay out of that conversation because people get so there's such a hysteria around Q and all of that. But I, I, I think where there's smoke, there's fire, there's something to it. It's not just a psyop. There's something happening. Well, I, I'd like to think there was. What you're saying is there is, there's a sting to take down the evil. Yes. Okay, well, yes. Do, do you know what I think is a sting to take down the evil? And it's such an easy thing for us all to do. Ten minutes of our day, go outside every day, stretch your arms up to the heavens and just wish the whole world was peaceful. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that the consciousness part of this, yeah. without that, even if, uh, let's say, something really beneficial happened by, by some actors who were trying to help humanity, yeah. without people's consciousness going to a certain level, it would be meaningless. Okay. Can you elaborate on that? Well, just that if you save people who are in such a state of despair that they, they don't even want to be saved... Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know that they they they're like you took away my oppressors. How dare you? I mean, or you know some other psychosis. Well, that stock that's that Stockholm syndrome exists all the time. Absolutely, it? we're dealing with such massive Stockholm syndrome. That's what I was getting at. That unless a certain percentage of the population can rise above that, I don't know that they will greet their potential liberators with uh, a, a lot of uh, positivity, and I don't think it'll help their lives or anyone else's. Yeah. For the clarification of our listeners, okay, archons exist, do they? Well, that's that's the theory, yes, that they, they are actual beings. Now, even even John Lash himself, and again, I don't take him as, as his word as the words of a god or anything like that. He, it's just his opinion, and I have my opinions, and, and there are other people out there doing this kind of research. Uh, he has He has gone back and forth over whether they're physical or possibly more metaphysical or possibly interdimensional. Yeah. I tend to think that they're, they're real beings that, that exist out there and that that's why there are so many sightings, for example, of gray aliens. Okay, and, and the other thing that I was going to add to that is I've... I've and Dracos been... for, that, for that matter. Say that again, sorry? And Dracos also. There have and... been so many eyewitnesses and reports and, uh, you know, contactee and UFO, uh, contactees, UFO encounters, that kind of thing that would suggest that there, there's some actual physical beings out there yeah and have you heard of brilling yes absolutely yeah absolutely do you, do you want to uh, what, I, what i was going to say about that and many other narratives is that and i, I was going to say this earlier given that the the archons if they're real they're they're like they're masters of illusion and manipulation and so 
they create narratives that are that are false. I, I've written probably 12 articles at least on the subject with with links and links and links and links and links on the subject that there is no virus. There is no bioweapon except the vaccines, but it's, there's no such thing as a contagious virus. No. But they've made an entire world believe it and shut down the world through that belief. No, it's shocking. Why could, so why could the, the Archons not make us believe in all kinds of fantastical tales about all kinds of other ETs and, and ETs coming to save us and, uh, you know, Nordics and all of this stuff? And it could all just be illusions projected by the Archons to get us off their track. Well, people who have looked into Project Bluebeam would, would know for maybe the last 50 years that they were planning a false, um, a false flag alien attack. And that is exactly in line with what I'm saying. Project Bluebeam could even happen. We, we may be on the verge of it. Some people think that there are signs in the media with some of the disclosure that's going on mm. that they're getting ready to spring a Project Bluebeam on us. Yeah, well, it could be soon. I, I actually thought... Way, way back, I thought it was going to be for the London Olympics. So I had a cousin who was working in the Wembley Stadium and I told her not to go. But, you know, <laughs> the... I remember I remember some of the, the fears around that. Yeah, yeah. So that happened, you know, um, or rather didn't happen. Um, but I was also told that it wasn't going to happen because the technology hasn't been tweaked enough to allow it to work perfectly yet. Oh, I, I would disagree with that. I okay. would think the, the Archons have perfected this if they've gone into this game, and that's one of their potential playbooks that they could they could uh, yeah, yeah. unleash on us. And what I've seen with the mental manipulation and the ability to literally take a, a Biden, I don't know who, who it is that we see on TV, but that is not Joe Biden. Well, I was talking to a mystic not so long ago who said that um, in, in quite a crazed way, he said, you know, Biden died about 10 years ago. So Well, and then there's the holographic Pope. There's there's so many different strange things going on. Mm. Melinda Gates looks exactly like Kevin Klein. Ah, come on. It looks like a bloke. Go to, go to my Twitter. Go to my Twitter and I posted an image just today. Yeah, it looks a bit like him, right? But it, it, is, it is remarkable. I've had <laughs> so many people comment on this on other, other places. It's uh, not just on Twitter. I don't, right? I don't, I don't, I don't think the la looking at photos, unless aging is really traumatic for her i do not believe that the young um, gates lady is the older gates lady i think they had a bit of a swap a bit of a biden was done but what you also have is this spate of photos that show masks mask lines i mean mission impossible style masks yeah on on macron on kamala harris on joe biden and many other people it is it is phenomenal and many of these images are appearing like on the BBC and on mainstream news services. So they're just being copied from those services. It isn't somebody out there taking those and tweaking them unless they've been pre-tweaked, yeah. which is possible. Yeah. But in any case, it's very, very strange. Yeah. So what are people seeing on the BBC? I'm just saying that you have images of, uh, of a Joe Biden clearly in some kind of mask with wrinkles where the, the scrunched up wrinkles on his forehead. I mean, freaky looking stuff. Uh, you can see the line uh, uh, along his neck where the mask glue maybe is coming apart and it's kind of folding up. It's extremely strange. It is. I mean, I did see a photo of a, a, a press conference sort of after a press conference repartee having a bit of cup of tea and, and on the sofas in, in, in apparently the White House. And they showed where the the staging had come apart and it was actually a, a film studio 
Yeah, well, the theory is is that they've never been in the White House. That the the Biden that the President Biden, or I call him Resident Biden, has not actually been in the White House yet, not not a single time. And I think there may be truth to that. Nor does he have apparently access to the Pentagon. Isn't that interesting? He's the president, is. isn't he? Now, I do think there are good and bad factions in the military. So uh, even if he doesn't have a- access to the full arsenal, they are certainly carrying out missions and doing things. I get I get that. Has it not but got to there, this? There, there is evidence to suggest that there are people who are following what's called the law of war manual that are duty bound not to obey him because he is not the duly elected president of the United States. Okay, fair enough. I, I just think that anyone that joins the military these days, or the guards over here, or the police in England, or wherever, I just think that they're absolutely psychopathic shitheads who want the uniform and the power. Because it's completely compromised. All of it is completely compromised, because they're working for evil shitheads. Yeah, that may be extreme. I, I think that there's a lot of, at least in this country, there's a lot of very serious patriots. And all it takes is meeting a lot, meeting a lot of the veterans. And mm. even... A lot of high-ranking veterans and people who were Green Berets and Special Forces and Navy SEALs yeah. to know that there are a lot of very good men and women who uh, are have been recently in the military. Right, okay, okay. And, and of course, because, I mean, a lot of the military are nepotistic. I mean, it's usually passed on to their, you know, their sons and daughters, and they join well, the military true. as well. That is very true. And so we have a, a long tradition. I mean, obviously, our military has been utilized by negative forces to to enact a lot of evil and a lot of fake and very harmful wars. Uh, I mean, war is always harmful, but I mean really unjust wars. Absolutely. Uh, all, all around the world, but there are also, but many of the people who have been in our military have been, I guess the word would be brainwashed, have been, have fallen for the propaganda and they, they really believe they were fighting the good fight. And a lot of them, a lot of, you see a lot of veterans, we have a lot of problems over here with veterans and their health and their mental health. Mm. And a lot of that has to do with um, the the narrative unraveling this is my opinion and they see their their life work as a sham yes yes and that they were actually just a pawn in a very evil game yeah if they, and, if, if they... and they become druggies and alcoholics and their health suffers their relationships suffer plus many of them have ptsd and other uh conditions that are very difficult to deal with yeah I mean, if they realised that they were actually fighting for the Rothschild banks and the Vatican, etc., they wouldn't be too chuffed, would they? Um, you know, well, that's I, exactly what's happening verbatim. Yeah. That's exactly what's going on yeah. for many people because you know more and more people are doing research and more and more people are having these conversations, even if the mainstream is trying to silence us and censor us. I, I just I was taken off Facebook a couple of weeks ago. I'm gone. <laughs> so uh, you know, but that conversation is still getting out there. And I think the more they try to censor us, the more the truth squeezes out around the cracks. Yeah, absolutely. And it's important. It's really important to try and show who these people are uh, for what they are. Getting back to the book. Woo, we disappeared from there for a while. Um, but all of it's relevant. It's it all is. Part, it, it, it's it all is. part of what's going on in the book. That's it, why, you know, I said, this, don't worry about it. Whatever we talk about will be relevant to the book. Because and it it's, is. The book is all about this moment. Can we talk about Felinium? Sure, we can talk about that some. <laughs> so that that what, what, how would you define it? 
Well, I thought so it's not give away too much of of the uh, of the plot. What okay. is what is it? Okay, what I would say is a really really incredible tool with a clever name because of a fallen angel. How's that? Or the fallen goddess. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, the fallen goddess. Yeah. Yes. Well, so right. So this is a this is a, the source of the of the, of Tula's power mm-hmm. and of their military and of their ability to to defend themselves and to do a bunch of different miracles. And so part of the unfoldment of the, of the plot in Cali, the destroyer is, is acquiring an understanding of what Felinium is or Felinium and how it works. Yes, exactly. And, and, and that you have to ask the goddess for it to work really. Right. Right. Or be ultimately. that, or be that connected anyway. Yes. Ultimately. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And, and it's, 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 it's a way of connecting it's a, it's a, I guess, a tool for connecting with her power. Yeah, it's it's Superman's super. Yeah, it's sort of the opposite of kryptonite. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So, um, and the, and the bird tribes are the only people using felinium or felinium on the planet, or or are Correct. there other? No. Correct. Okay. And they guard it very closely because of its of its of its ability of its powers. Yeah, you can imagine putting that in evil's hands. But then you have then you have attempts to synthesize it by by the the archontic proxies. Indeed, indeed, like like synthesizing all sorts of stuff and using uh, baby fetuses in vaccines and animal products and all sorts of stuff going on. And oh right, right, all the genetic engineering, all oh, of that. Do you know it's even on a simple level, isn't it? I mean, the, I look at pig farmers and 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 the pig farmer farms pigs, kills them and sells them to hotels etc. for butchers who then feed the bacon and the sausages to the punters who don't eat it all and put it in a bin and they collect the bins and bring it back to the pigs who then eat their family oh it's true it's really really bizarre when you think about it that way yeah i mean what the fuck are we doing to a species i don't know it's it it seems incredibly cruel i'm you know i'm i'm definitely not a, a strict vegetarian but but that is absolutely cruel yeah, yeah, it just it, is. It's it just disrespectful, you know. It's 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 just uh, it's, you know, it's not polite. <laughs> it's and, like and I mean that. I mean that somewhat humorously, yeah. but there are just sometimes when just being rude is evil. Yeah, I mean it's like synthesizing something that that the earth has given us <laughs> free of charge, beautifully right, untouched. Right. Why synthesize it? How dare you ba- <laughs> bastardize something like that? <laughs> Well said, well said. Hmm. Anyway, may the illuminous child awaken in you. Just thought I'd say that again. You too. <laughs> there was a there was a phrase in Snooze that you know I, I love creating these little catchphrases. So in Snooze, it's a it's a story about uh, a mirror reality where where uh, our doppelgangers exist, or the other half of ourselves, and so the the whole plot revolves around coming together and becoming whole, bringing those two parts of ourselves together. And so the phrase from Snooze is, I see myself in you. Brilliant. And so everyone greets uh, people in this world that Max travels to with, I see myself in you. <laughs> That's lovely, isn't it? I thought it was kind of cool. Yeah. And, you, know, yeah. you know, really, it's a, it's a, it's a, a catchy uh, but meaningful way of, of, highlighting the importance of unity consciousness yeah 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 
you know, I, I'd love to learn the, the language of birds if it, if it fully existed the way it is, because there are so many people, including myself, who are sick and, and in pain and all the rest of it. And if, if all you had to do was to, to sing and think and love and you were healing someone, sounds bloody good to me. Well, what you ought to do is just reread, potentiate your DNA and practice, practice doing it and then just start doing it. You do it for yourself, do it for your wife, do it for family members, do it for pets and see what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, in the book, you say uh, you learn to use your mind when you're singing the bird song. So how you explained it in the book is that singing aloud was was capital letters and, and in your mind was was um, lowercase letters. That would be the nomenclature so that you know which is which. Uh-huh. Okay. And so you would sing one line, you would sing the capitalized line, and the, you would think the lowercase line. Okay, okay. That sounds interesting. And and I really want to do it and, and, and find out the crack. Also, you bring into the book, you know, um, obviously you mentioned the Illuminati, which is brilliant. And then you call, you, you say that you say that they're Satan worshippers, uh, that they're into paedophilia, that they're, they're human trafficking and child sacrificing. You come out with all that in your book. That's quite a heavy thing to say about a group of people. Yeah, yeah. And it's true. All, every bit of it. <laughs> brilliant. Uh, I was hoping for that reaction. And then um, was there a version of 5G um, called 5H? Yes, yes. Come so I, I theorize that the, the, the vaccines, these operating systems, which aren't really vaccines, which are some kind of gene therapy, are designed to be utilized with, with uh, wireless technology for population control in various senses of that term. Mm. And what would have made the, 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 the racists living in this, in this ulterior world um, was that uh, whites were more susceptible to the 5G, to all the DNA altering and all that type of stuff. They were much more susceptible to the nanotechnology and the dark-skinned people weren't. Right, and that just happened to be an, an accident of nature that's explained in the book, but it ends up being a, a further bifurcation of, of, the, of the races where you have the, the light-skinned people being just absolutely brainwashed and mind-controlled and the dark-skinned people, while being disempowered, being wide awake in many ways. Yes, yes, absolutely. The old punk rockers, I call them. <laughs> it doesn't matter what color yeah, you. Yeah, sure, sure. That'll work. <laughs> so, um, so these scales are there. So there's more than one scale to learn. So it's like a, a numerous amount of songs, numerous amount of scales to learn, or can one learn just something more simple? Well, I mean, in the theoretical language of the birds it, there's probably many many variations in yes. the practical non-fiction application of that in in regenetics there is a set there is a set of six notes called the solfeggio uh, the solfeggio set or the scale there's some debate whether you consider it a scale or not but anyway, it's, it's solfeggio well, you you, you, know, you mentioned a big time on the last show. Obviously, we were talking about potentiate your DNA on the in the book, and um, you you mentioned one particular um, note, uh, me in the scale. That yes, was... yes, and so that's that actually is a the me note. M I is a character, quote unquote, in Cali. It's the guar note, which means home in that in the in Tula's language, mm -hmm. which is Caledon. Caledon is the language. Yes, that's right. Yes. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Well, of course, you know. <laughs> you wrote it. So, yeah, so, so that it's called voir in, in the, the language of Caledon, and it translates as home, but it's the me note that from the solfeggio scale that I'm thinking about. Yes, yes. Okay, so what... So you've used that in the book, and so Callie is using various um, scales, vowels, notes, thought, and singing. Um, and you are basically saying that, that that's real. That is something that is real. You can use that and utilise it in your normal everyday life. And what you've said is you've healed yourself and that loads of other people are doing it the same as we speak. Sure. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Like I said, I, I never know how it's going to affect somebody. And some sometimes people will go into it hoping for one outcome and maybe that doesn't happen maybe something else happens that's really valuable to them or maybe there are synchronicities or serendipities that show up that lead them into a different way of being and then they can kind of trace it back to doing this work which in my in my theory would have to do with increasing their their energy field and their their ability to attract different outcomes yeah and what about people who if we are to believe that archons exist etc etc and we uh, and you know we we know of our different psychopaths on all different class structures they come from all different families we don't really know why etc you know you can have a whole family of beautiful people and one psycho amongst them that can happen so um i said su- i suppose who are they what are they are do they exist can the uh, can the scales get rid of of archons has it been proven do you know someone who's who says i'm archonized or i've got archons and and, and they've come to you and you've been able to potentiate them and they've got rid of that well that's a really good question one of the early discoveries uh discoveries uh was part discovery part part given to us uh, was this notion of a, a fragmentary body that people have Right. It's 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 where your second chakra is, so the, the sex chakra area. If you wanted to locate it on, on your physiology, okay. We determined that that is the place where people get parasites, including mental parasites or entities. Okay. In this theory, all of these entities would just be archons. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And we discovered that when you do the first part of regenetics, which is called potentiation, it seals the fragmentary body and begins forcing out parasites. Okay, so, so both, does that both, mean... Both, both physical and otherwise. Okay, I was about to say, is that like taking diaphanous earth or whatever it's called and having, you know, worms coming out of your ass? It is exactly like that. And, and sometimes, yes, worms do come out and that happens after, after potentiation. Okay. But I believe that other things come out too, like archons. Brilliant. Okay, because it is important. And and these entities that might come out, because um, we're not going to maybe even visibly see them, are we? No, I would expect you wouldn't see them most of the time at all. Yeah. What you would experience would be the difference. a change in your mental clarity and in your general outlook, your moods, your creativity, Mm-hmm. And your your possibly in your sense of well being, your health, your sleep patterns, your relationships, that kind of thing. Right. Okay. And sometimes, sometimes very jarring changes in your circumstances, where you might have new opportunities open up, or you might lose a job, or even uh, 
have a divorce or something if, if that was not in alignment with what you need to be doing on this planet or should be doing or came here to do. Okay, so it's a, it's a shakedown and it gets you back on, I suppose, the path you were supposed to be on in the first place. Yeah, people have called it something like instant karma. It's a, it's a very powerful shakedown. Yeah. And it's not always easy to go through. The process unfolds over about a nine-month period. You know, we call it a gestation cycle. It's like a birth cycle mm. or a rebirth cycle. That makes sense. Where you're, you're reinventing yourself in many ways. Wouldn't it be great if we could all reinvent ourselves? Because I, I don't think any of us are happy. Um, if we haven't been brainwashed and fooled, we're living in a world of brainwashed people and fools. So either way, we're screwed up. Yeah, there's there's some truth to that. I, I think that it's possible to to have localized bubbles of sanity where one or more people with some mental clarity come together and and I think that these could form larger communities over time. I think we're seeing that actually happening now because there's such a separation of the wheat and the chaff going on. Yeah. And I think I think that's that's likely to accelerate for a while. And I don't know what the ultimate outcomes are going to be, but you see you know, new communities forming. You see in the United States, for example, you see red states versus blue states. Like I'm in Florida where our governor, DeSantis, is doing all kinds of things to defend people's medical freedoms and other types of freedoms. Whereas in, in some of these blue states, New York, California, Michigan, for example, it's total it's total uh, despotism. Yeah. And so there's a, an amazing bifurcation happening right now. Well, I don't know. Get back to the book, you know, it, it's all it's all relative, isn't it? Because it is really happening that we are in a dystopian world right now with lockdown and, and um passport vaccination vaccination passports on the horizon and uh, you know let me see your papers and all that type of bullshit not in the future we're planning on not being able to travel places and all the rest of it um in your book if it goes to where they want it to go but but even around the world you have many leaders who are threatening to expose even putin is saying you know, there is no reset it's gone it's over um modi in india has said the same thing i don't think these people are for this great reset Right. Okay. And I, and I think that for a number of reasons, and I also believe they are working with other patriot. I use that word in quotes. Forces around the world, as part of this global sting operation, to expose and ultimately defeat the deep state. I really think that's what's going on. Brilliant. Uh, will, I, I... will they be successful ultimately? That's a good question. Brilliant. I, I, re I really hope it does. But the World Economic Forum and the World Health Organization and the FDA and the CIA and the MI6 and all, they are keeping their little world going. And the military plebs in their uniforms, doesn't matter what rank they are, are all helping, keeping it all going. The clergy in their frocks up on the pulpit are keeping the whole bullshit going. Our education systems around the world keeping the book. Anyway, I could go on, couldn't I? Yes, and, and there may be a difference because there are, in terms of our geography, because I'm seeing things that you're not seeing, perhaps, and vice yeah. versa. I mean, I'm aware of many things that are happening in Europe right now, and it's very disturbing, and deeply troubling, and I get all of that. And I'm yeah. thankful that I'm not there, frankly, at the moment, although I love Europe, and I spent a lot of time there. 
But in this country, you have amazing things happening, like what I was talking about with the red states. You have you have groups of parents going in and literally ousting people from boards of education and, and holding quorums and voting in new people. You have people taking power back in a way that I have never seen in my lifetime. And it's only going to accelerate. We have these audits going on, which are exposing this election fraud to the world and to uh, the brainwashed American public. And that's going to be a domino effect over time. So I think all of this points to both a coordinated sting operation and a popular organic uprising of we the people. Yeah, and I think, you know, we, we've all been involved in the last, you know, 50 to 100 years of trying to educate each other and sharing the information. Then the Internet came along, which is a military operation. We know that. But here it is. They're listening it's to it. It's a double edged sword. I think they, yeah. they they were they were gambling on that. They wanted to get to this covid vaccine certificate stage and lock everybody down. This was always the plan. But in doing so, they were going to expose so many people to so much knowledge that the, the risk was always that they would tip the scales against them. And I think that's what's happening. Yeah. And my, my theory is um, over the centuries for the satanic despots to keep their um, satanic control on the planet and to keep their black magic going, they need or they needed the population to be under a certain amount, which is why we had wars and famines and bullshit that they created, okay, to keep the, the population down and their control. That's true. That's also yeah. why they want to yeah. further reduce it, like on the, uh, well, you know, we see on the Georgia Guidestones, for example. Well, the, the Georgia Guidestones are saying 500,000 people. Why are they saying 500,000 people? Because in the last 50 years, last 20 years especially, uh, people have been aware and awakened and there are there is a massive shift in the global consciousness. And because of that massive shift in global consciousness, they need to kill billions. But who was it who said there's nothing more powerful than an idea whose time has come? Yeah, I don't know who said it, but it was a good idea. <laughs> so I think that's where we are. I think that you know people are beginning to have this idea of freedom, like really having this... Yeah. this uh, visceral idea of what that means because it, their freedom is so threatened now yeah and and so many people are actually saying that they like their their uh, captivity they're happy if they have that we're back to stockholm syndrome yeah. i'm not denying that one bit no they're, they're, no they're pointing fingers at people without masks and and telling them how evil they are how putting other people at risk and all the rest of it it's quite remarkable uh, and quite evident, and that's why people are waking up so much, that the brainwashing has happened. It's so obvious, you know. So many people are talking absolute shit based on no logic whatsoever. There is no logic to it. Oh, I'd like to go into a restaurant. Oh, you got to wear a mask. Okay, I'll put my mask on. I'm in the queue for the restaurant. I get into the restaurant. I've still got my mask on. That's great. Oh, here comes a guy who's going to take me to the table. I go to the table. You can take your mask off now and eat. Oh. What the fuck yeah, did they have it on in the first Is place? it a tall virus? It was amazing. It was amazing. It must be a rather tall virus. It's a virus that only hovers around the five to seven foot range. Absolutely. A really clever one. I mean, Boris Johnson told people that they could hug their grandparents last Monday. And I, I, I wrote, well, I'm seeing mine on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. it, no, it, it is quite amazing. I just think people, more and more people are simultaneously they're seeing through it 
and they're becoming more vocal against all of these mass calls and COVIDiots. I see it on social media now. For a long time, I think that the COVIDiots and the mass calls were able to shame and overcome the resistance of people who were thinking clearly uh, because of just the sheer numbers. And I've seen a kind of equalizing, and now I feel like the the same people are gaining ground in this fight and are starting to push back these it, this COVIDiacy. Well, let's and, I, and, I, and I see that like on Twitter when someone attacks some doctor out there wanting to vaccinate kids and then a bunch of people jump on the thread and they all attack the doctor for being a monster, uh, a genocidal maniac, a eugenicist. And, and I wasn't seeing that a few months ago. No, no. Well, you know, let, let's hope, let's absolutely hope that it's it's going to happen because um, we're in a lot of deep shit if, we, if it doesn't, basically. It is yeah, well, we're dead if it doesn't. I mean, yeah. let's let's be honest. Uh, you know, there's this there's this moment, and I've mentioned this in, in other interviews before, it really made a, a, a profound, it had a profound impact on me when I first saw it. It, it was in the, the, the third movie of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, The Return of the King, uh, Peter Jackson's version. Okay. And it was, it was, it might, I can't remember if it was in the, uh, the theater version or, or if it was in the director's cut, but it's a moment when they have reached the gate and they think, and the Aragorn is there, who's the king, and he's with Gandalf, the wizard, and they think that Frodo has been captured behind the enemy lines, which would mean that Sauron has regained the ring and all of his power, and he's about to crush them. <laughs> And they're there, and they're in the fight, and there's nowhere to go. No. And Aragorn rides back before he gives this, you know, you know, Churchill-esque inspiring speech and says, and tells Gandalf, he says, I do not believe it. I will not believe it. Mm. And then he rides off, and, and he gives the speech to inspire the troops to fight and stand in the event that Frodo is still actually alive and free and the ring has not fallen into Sauron's hands again. And sure enough, he was right. <laughs> and they ultimately win the, the battle and create a new world. And, and I think that's where we are. We can't believe that we cannot fall into despair and hopelessness because it lowers our energy. The very thing we don't want to happen. Yeah. It keeps us from doing what we can do to stand up against this and to organize ourselves in productive ways. Well, my so I think too much time looking at all of the shit is is actually counterproductive. It may be so, but I, I'm how I look at it is, uh, is there something to be done? Obviously there is. And I'm here. And you're there. And we're here. So we're here for that reason. We're not yes. here. We're not here to ignore it and let it go to hell in a fucking, you know, piss pot on its own. You well, know, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that you can have a discussion about it, but a lot of and a lot of people will start there and then they will never stop discussing it. All they will do is talk about all the bad stuff all day long, and then gotcha. they'll go back home and they'll have some beers and go to sleep and do nothing. Right. At some point in time, you stop talking about it and you start doing something about. it. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, um, I think the books that you've already put out there, and uh, I really do want people to check it all out and to check out www.crowrising.com. Have I got that right? 
prorising.com. Um, we've only got about five minutes left. I did want to ask you about the prophecy of the rose and whether we could talk about it. Um, uh, maybe that's a little nugget to leave people with. I want to say to people, the book's not out yet. Uh, wh when's it due out, Sol? We're shooting for June, uh, January. Uh, one of the, where am I? What year am I in? <laughs> June 20th, because that's the solstice. Okay, so just the, the book about the goddess. So we thought, yeah. you know, the solstice would be a good time to it, release it. Perfect, perfect. That's, that's just over a month away, guys. It can pre can be pre ordered, of course, on on uh, Sol's website, crowrising.com. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. My wife is reading it now and telling me she's loving it. Um, uh, so, so we've double whammied it. Thanks for that copy. On oh, well, thank you. Yes. <laughs> on also, Sean, you can save uh, twenty percent on it right now uh, during the pre-order phase, both oh. for the ebook and the paperback versions. There you go. And if it was me, I'd try and get the paperback version because I tell you what, reading too many books on PDF is a pain in the everything. <laughs> it really is. I don't like it either. It is. So, so listen, Sol, is there anything you want to squeeze in that I haven't mentioned or we haven't gone to that you really want to before we go? Or do you think we can continue another time? Or what do you think? I think we could, we could certainly go on and on, but uh, I don't really have anything to add. I think you've asked great questions and you contributed beautifully to, to this discussion. I, I, I just appreciate you're having me on. Oh, you're more than welcome. And, and, and what I don't understand is why you want to come on a tiny little radio show like this when you could be on Jay Leno or some shite on, on, on mainstream. Well, I, I doubt that very seriously that I could, I could actually even do that. But uh, no, it's just fun to talk about it and, and, and reach people who are on this wavelength. And this is where they are. They're not, they're not on those, those uh, larger platforms. For the most part maybe not but i do think the future is going to be massive and i think people like yourself might end up pushing your way onto talk shows etc and and put i think this... they would have to drag me but anyway well potentiation needs to be known by people yeah there are other ways of getting it out there i mean it's <laughs> it's getting out there okay okay i was just saying <laughs> so, so, so... I, i'm just i'm kind of reclusive that yeah. i'm a little shy in some way so that's oh, okay. that's where i'm coming from well, that's thank a, that's you for, for, for uh, your faith in me <laughs> well that's a choice i'll go on and, and you just say the words and i'll sing bird song to everybody <laughs> that's right that's good <laughs> so, so i'll be obama in the basement and you'll be my biden exactly exactly so so thank you so much Sol, for coming on the on the show out of the bag is a better place to have you here um it's just a wonderful book do get it callie the destroyer check out www.crowrising.com and uh, all the other books as well just fantastic stuff so thank you so much thank you sean